We had a thing happen yesterday. You know, we've, we're developing this relationship with a homeless shelter uh, just a block away, and we have people going over there quite a bit and serving dinners and, and things of that sort. Just We're serving them any way we can. I really see the Lord raising up a ministry here. It's already in process of us really getting around that and having a ministry to the homeless. Uh, that's, that's a part of the gospel, amen? Well, we had uh, yesterday uh, for the Random Acts of Kindness ministry that, that occurs every two Saturdays, we wrapped presents for uh, the children. We, we got presents, donated, and, and wrapped them for the children in the homeless shelter so they could have a Christmas. And uh, we announced that last week, and we had 145 people show up uh, yesterday morning. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, th- that's, that, that, that's what it's about. In fact, there's so many people, there was more people than there were presents to wrap. But, you know, the God honors the heart, and, and I just uh, really uh, appreciate that. Um, and this uh, Christmas Eve service, I I'd re- encourage you to make a note of that. It's going to be a candlelight service. It's going to be kind of different. And uh, we'll be doing some teaching and meditation, devotional stuff on, on the meaning of Christmas, whatever. But this morning I want to finish up this series that we're doing on the myths of the church. We've looked at uh, ten myths that people have, misconceptions, mythologies that people have about the church. And we're exposing each of these ten myths as a way of really articulating our vision for what the body of Christ is supposed to be. We began the 10th myth last week, and I want to wrap it up this week. The 10th myth is the myth that the church is a democracy. The church is a democracy. Um, We saw last week this. Oh, before I forget. (laughs) Last week in the second service, I I, I committed almost the unforgivable sin for a senior pastor. I forgot to take up the offering. In December, where, where, you know, this is our make-or-break month. So uh, would the ushers come forward? We're going to continue to, to, in fact, they had to do all these things trying to get me to, you know, get my attention that I didn't take up the offering. You know, Greg Foote's up here dancing around, you know, and, and finally they, they, they put a message on the monitor <laughs> while I'm preaching. I'm reading the text from the scripture, and uh, they put up this thing, take up the offering. So I finally got the hint. In fact, as long as we're going to take up the offering, let's pray for the offering, let's pray for the message here. And I'd like about a dozen people on that side of the room to, to be my intercessors. Would you be willing to? Okay, good. Middle. Need about two dozen people. Be praying for the message as it goes forth. Good. Over here, about a dozen people. Okay, just keep, keep me covered. Let's, let's enter into prayer. Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would put on the hearts of your people a burden to carry, Lord God, to help carry, to co-labor with you this ministry, Lord God, that it would be all that you want it to be, Lord. And we worship you, we ascribe worth to you, not just by our words and by our singing, but, Lord God, by how we live our life, by the values that we have, Lord God. And so I pray, Lord God, to be developing in us uh, kingdom principles and kingdom values uh, expressed, Lord God, by our coming behind the vision that you've given to us, Lord. We pray for this message as it goes forth, Lord. Uh, We don't want a speech. We don't want uh, fancy words, Lord God. What we need is your power. Uh, what we need, Lord God, is, is transformation, Lord. What we need are, are strongholds in our life to be torn down. And, and, Lord, words can't do that. Speeches can't do that. But you can do that. And so, Holy Spirit, take this time, Lord God. Use it for your glory, Lord God. Build your kingdom in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. What we saw last week, uh, last week I, I spoke about uh, leadership what leadership is in the body of Christ, because one of the reasons why people have an insistence on sort of seeing the church as a democracy is because of a wrong-headedness on leadership. And what I'm going to talk about this morning is followership or discipleship. 
What we saw last week was this. There's a world of difference between a pagan model of authority and a kingdom model of authority. A pagan model of authority operates this way. This comes out of Luke 22 and a number of other passages. Uh, but Jesus put it this way, that there, there's, uh, uh, the Gentiles lord it over those who are under them, and they're called benefactors. They benefit from their position of power. What you get in, in, a, in, a, in a pagan model of authority is the idea that, uh, well, the unregenerate king or the unregenerate prince, whoever's in charge, has an interest in themselves. They have a vision for benefiting themselves. Unregenerate people operate out of a center of what's in it for me, a, a center of, of, of self. And because they happen to be in a position of power, whether it's through inheritance, uh, as most kingdoms have run throughout world history, you just inherit uh, a position of authority, or maybe it's through election, or maybe it's through a military coup, or however they got there, they're in charge. So they're going to use their position of authority to advance themselves, a vision that they have for themselves. So they exercise a power over people, a power that squishes people, a power that controls people, a power that's dictatorial on people, power over people. And in doing that, they're the, benef- the benefactors. They, they, they benefit from what they're doing. You see, that it promotes themselves. And so those who are in charge get to live in the bigger houses, and, 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 and they get to have people wait on them, but they don't have to wait on people and things of that sort. Of that sort. That's pagan authority, the pagan model of authority. Kingdom authority, we saw, is radically different than that. Leadership in the body of Christ starts not from a center of, of what's in it for me. It's not a vision for self. It's a vision for what God wants to accomplish in a particular people, in a particular place, at a particular time. It's a vision that God gives a leader. One of the qualifications for a leader is that you're ahead of, of people, knowing where God is leading you. There's a vision for what God wants to do. In getting that vision, a good leader, whether it's a senior pastor or other pastors of particular ministries or a leader of a small group, what happens is you take responsibility to make that happen, to work with God, to, to incarnate, to bring about, to enflesh the vision that God's put on your heart. Then you begin to serve people. You don't have power over people. You have power under people. You come under them. You lay down your life for them. You empower them. You equip them. You help them realize their potential, their giftedness, their value in the kingdom of God. And in the very act of coming under them, you bring them on board with the vision that God has given to you. You begin to motivate them and rally them around the vision that God's given. And as they begin to live out and begin to minister that vision, everybody is, 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 is a benefactor. Uh, everyone benefits from this. It's not just the one who's in charge. A radically different model of, of leadership. You find this articulated in a very clear way in First Peter chapter 5, a verse I didn't have a chance to get to last week. Here Peter says, To the elders among you I appeal, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Those are those who oversee the ministry. They're shepherds. Uh, and they serve. Look at that. They don't, they're not there to be served. They are there to serve, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing. There's got to be a willingness in your heart, as God wants you to be. There's got to be a calling. One of the primary things we look for when people aspire to be overseers is, is, is this what's really on your heart? Are you doing this for the right motivation? And is God calling you to this? And then we also ask, do you have the right giftings for it and things of that sort? Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Now, this tells us that in the early church, at least some overseers were paid. It was, they, they were set aside as, as, for ministry purposes to do this full time. There's, no, there's nothing intrinsically incompatible with, with being on staff and being on the overseers. If uh, they weren't paid, it would be impossible for Peter to warn them not to be greedy for money 
and have that as a motivation for being on the overseer board. But he says, don't be greedy, but what you should be eager for is to serve. It's about service. Leadership in the kingdom is about service. And then he makes it very explicit. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. Don't, don't do it like the Gentiles do. Don't be dictatorial. Don't be the one who shouts the loudest and the one who demands to get your way. Rather, you serve. It's a radically different model of, of authority. Being examples to the flocks, bringing, bringing them on board. You live it out. You bring them on board. Don't squish them. You win them. Like Jesus Christ, he's the model for, for kingdom authority. God didn't flex his omnipotent muscle by, by, by uh, uh, controlling everything. God flexes his omnipotent muscle, if you will, by dying on the cross, by letting the people he wants to win crucify him on the cross, and thereby demonstrating his outlandish, unsurpassable, passionate love for, for the human race. And the very model of that kind of sacrifice, the model of that, wins us over. It wins our hearts. We want to follow him, not primarily out of fear, but out of, out of, out of a love, out of a, a adoration for what he's, he, he's done for us. All healthy leadership follows this model. All healthy leadership follows this model, where you win the people you're serving. You win those who are following you. You win them over by your gifting, by your service, by your character, by your sacrifice. What I want to do now is to talk, that's about leadership in the body of Christ. And see, if, if, if you have right leadership in the body of Christ, you're not going to have people as much, at least, revolting against that kind of leadership. There are people who will revolt against leadership no matter what kind it is. But, uh, but most of the time when people revolt against leadership is because it's a pagan kind of leadership. It's a demanding, a dictatorial sort of a leadership. Right leadership usually inspires right followership. And now I want to look at what, what right followership is, what di right discipleship is. There's a right, right, right way to lead, and there's a right way to follow. The right way to follow, I'm going to use two words here that are very unpopular in our culture. I know that I'm coming against a stronghold. In fact, in every one of these myths I've been talking about, I've been coming against a stronghold. The reason why they're so pervasive is because they're so natural to us in our Western culture which is why we need to go after them. Uh, this one is a major stronghold. Right followership consists basically of two words, obedience and submission. Somebody say praise the Lord. Oh, I know that would get you excited. Oh, yes. We're going to talk about obedience and submission. Okay, let's look at a couple of passages. Hebrews chapter 13. Obey your leaders. Everybody say obey. You could have said it a little more enthusiastic, but I'll take it. And submit to them. Everyone say submit. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure that you're following me here. For they are keeping watch over your souls and will give an account. Let them do this with joy. Follow them in a way that gives them joy, not with sighing. The word could be translated groaning. There are times when leaders groan, believe me. <laughs> All the pastors in here said, yes, yes, amen. It's like, oh, Lord, you know, I, I could have been a mechanic, Lord. <laughs> I, I, you know, someday, I, maybe I could become a professional musician. Maybe, maybe it's not too late. But see, do it in a way that gives joy to them, not uh, sighing. For that would be harmful to you, the author says. You who follow, it would be harmful for you if you were made them groan. And I think what the author's getting at here is, uh, throughout the Bible, God comes down very hard on a spirit of rebellion. On, on people who are unwilling to get in line with, with God's program. And I think that's kind of what the author is, is uh, getting at here. Pray for us, the author says. Pray. One of the things you can do as those who follow are pray for those who lead. Deuteronomy 27. 
an example of kind of God's paradigm throughout history here. Then Moses and the elders of Israel charged all the people. Moses and the elders of Israel charged all the people as follows. Keep the entire commandment that I am commanding you today. What I want us to get out of here is this. The Lord gave the commandment, but he did it through the leaders. God delegated his authority to the leaders, and the people were to then follow them as, uh, as they were following the Lord. The one they really follow is the Lord, but the means by which they follow the Lord is by following the leaders. It's God's pattern throughout, throughout history. And then uh, Acts chapter 16. As Paul and Timothy went from town to town, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. The apostles and elders got together to talk about how Jews and Gentiles should get along. They came, they, they, they came to a, a decision, and then they spread that decision through Paul and Timothy to all the churches in the area. And the churches in the area, note this, were expected to submit to it. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in numbers daily. What we see here is God blessing the church uh, throughout the region because, partly at least because, of the fact that they, they chose to align themselves with the decision of the elders and apostles that were in Jerusalem. Uh, the bottom line in all this is, is this. You find throughout the entire Bible, almost without exception, that when God leads a people, when God wants a people to accomplish something, He raises up leaders to lead the people. There are a few who are gifted in leadership, and most are gifted to be followers. It's the structure of how God does things throughout history. Usually there's a team of people, elders, as we saw in Deuteronomy 27, and usually, though not always, there's a senior person amidst those elders. But it's a team concept. Rarely does God use an individual apart from a team. That's one of the reasons that we at Woodland Hills Church really believe strongly in the principle of a team leadership. Uh, there's accountability in, 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 in a team. There's wisdom in a team. And so we believe that a, a team should to do the leading. But that doesn't mean there isn't also a senior person. So also in the New Testament, you find that God used teams of overseers or leaders. You read a lot about this. Pastors and teachers who were over the, the church at large. There were also some key people who were the leaders of the team, like Timothy, like Titus, like Paul, like Peter, like James and others. But this is how God uh, works in history to motivate people, to, to uh, unify his people, his army, to do the work that God wants them to do. Now, the, the trouble that we have, we Americans, let's just, you know, say it out loud. We, we touched on this last week. We need to do it again is that we cut our, te our cultural teeth on, on the American Revolution. The, this country was formed uh, as a revolt. We revolted against the British tyranny, and we wanted to be self-governing. And so we have inherited as a part of our culture the idea that authority is always suspicious. Too much authority is a bad thing. We cut our cultural teeth on the principle of freedom. And so we have, let, let's just call for what it is, a mindset as a culture that basically says this, uh, I am a free agent, I am a self-determining agent, I do what I want to, when I want to, how I want to, with who I want to, and ain't nobody going to tell me different. You see, that's, that's kind of our mindset. Don't you impinge on my rights. Rights are very important to us. Freedom is very important to us. And see, this is... This is a good thing politically. I am for this politically. I think this is how uh, politics in a fallen world should operate. The government should protect as much as possible the freedom of people. It's a wonderful thing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for a free country. 
But a principle that operates wonderful in a political realm operates terrible in a theological realm. We, we, if we're not careful, we allow this thing which is a virtue politically. I got rights, I'm, I'm a free agent, I should be self-determining, I do what I want, and no one's going to tell me to do differently. And there are parameters around that, but, but we want maximal freedom. What operates very well politically, when you, if we're not careful, it can begin to carry over into our relationship with God. And now, folks, it becomes something that is absolutely uh, diabolic. You see, we, we apply this both to our relationship with God and we apply it to our relationship to the church, and it damages both severely. In our relationship with God, what happens is, is this. Uh, people are, are uh, they want to keep God at bay to preserve their freedom over and against God. Uh, there's a fear of submitting totally to Jesus Christ. Oh, we like Jesus Christ a little bit. We like Jesus Christ when we want Him. We like Jesus Christ how we want Him. You know, but we want to be the ones in charge. We, we don't want to, you know, it, it feels to us, it sounds to us, if we're not careful, uh, that uh, we are losing something of precious value if we totally submit to Jesus Christ. We're losing our freedom. We're losing our self-determination. We're losing our personhood when we submit to Jesus Christ totally. And so what we like to do is to have a, a, a little bit of our or a lot of our own stuff, a lot of our own freedom, a lot of our own self-determination. And we try to fit Jesus in as sort of a footnote somewhere along the way. But there isn't a totally sold-out, abandoned, uh, you know, take a giant leap relationship with, with, with Jesus Christ. And we, we, this comes out in a lot of ways. See, we Americans, if we're not careful, what happens is, is we end up having a religion that is there to serve us rather than us serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We, 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 uh, we, we like the Lord when, it, when it's convenient for us. We're just consumers, you see. And so, for example, a, a classic case of this. Uh, the World Trade Center uh, thing that happened recently. You know, we, we, uh, after the World Trade Center, the Sunday after the World Trade Center, uh, church attendance skyrocketed. you know that? Some, some places went up 300, 300%. Uh, they tripled their, their, their church attendance. Across the nation, so far as we can determine, the Sunday after the World Trade Center, uh, the, the church attendance was up about 25%. Churches were packed. They broke records. We broke a record here. I mean, everyone was going to church. And some people were saying, oh, we've got a revival on our hands. You know, this is what's going to turn America around. And certainly we should pray for that. And I'm happy whenever you get people in church. Man, that's an evangelistic opportunity. I'm not going to slam that. And I'm happy that people were praying more than they've ever prayed. Praise God for that. But I also really had my suspicion that this would not make a permanent change. Because I know Americans too well. And so do you. And there was a study done last week uh, to see what has been the permanent, or not permanent, but the two-month-long effect of the, the uh, World Trade Center attack. And what they found was this. Last week, church attendance was exactly the same, percentage-wise, as what it was before the World Trade Center. Exactly. We're back. It, same. About four out of every ten people attend church, or three and a half percent, or three, uh, three and a half out of every ten people attend church on any given week. And that's exactly what it was that last week. Bible sales, uh, right after the World Trade Center, uh, it, it quadrupled here in the Twin Cities. Everyone was buying Bibles, you know, because it's like uh, they wanted some security. They wanted some, some peace, you know, maybe this will do it. But the study last week showed that the, the number of people who are actually reading the Bible last week is exactly what it was before the World Trade Center. So we got more people with Bibles, but no more people who are reading Bibles. You see, 
What it is is this. When, when we need it, when we want it, when we're scared, when we're insecure, when we're in trouble, we want a God we can run to. You know, and, and uh, a God who's there to meet our needs when we want our needs met. But what you don't have a lot of in this culture is people who are willing to be there when God needs you. When God wants something to be done through your life. We want a God who, we use our freedom to determine uh, when and how uh, the Lord will, will be there for us. A, a, we're consumers. We want a product that is available to us at a cheap cost when we need it. But see, to relate to God at, in that way is, is to really miss everything. You, you miss all the joy. You miss all the peace. You miss all the power. You miss all the genuine, intimate, transforming relationship as long as you hold the reins on your relationship with God. We're coming on the holiday season, and one of the things that just baffles me about the holiday season is that church attendance increases. I don't get it. We come to celebrate the, the God becoming incarnate. And it, it just it, it boggles my mind how if this is true, if this is true, if the Christmas story is true, then the last thing you should ever get are people who think about it twice a year, Christmas and Easter. It, 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 if, this, if this is true... If it's worth going to church twice a year over because you believe it's true, it's worth going to church 52 times a year and serving Him every day of your life. I... But see, but see that this is the thing. You know, it's part of the culture. It's part of the. It's the thing to do. It's, it's what a proper citizen does. It's just part of what makes you feel good around Christmas time, and it's part of what makes you feel good around Easter time as you go to church. And what that's what you want in a God, isn't it? A God who makes you feel good when you need to feel good. But see. If you get anything else out of this message that I'm preaching this morning, get this. Uh, that whole mentality of having a little God, like a little statue on a, on, a, on, a, on a shelf, that is there when you need Him, when you want Him, when it's convenient for you, that, that whole thing that you lose your freedom, that you're losing something of value by totally selling out to Jesus Christ, by submitting to Jesus Christ, it is a lie out of the pit of hell. Amen? It is, it is, it's absolutely delusional. You don't lose anything when you submit totally to Jesus Christ. You, you, don't, you don't lose your personhood. You find your personhood. And you don't lose freedom. You find freedom. And you don't lose rights. You get divine rights. The way to get what you're looking for with all your freedom is to sell out and lose your freedom in relationship to Jesus Christ. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3. He tells the believers, let the peace of Christ rule in you. Let it rule in you. You know, now look at it. Let the peace of God, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is the kind of lordship I want. Let it rule. Let him have control. You see, here's the thing. When you set up Jesus Christ as the ruler, as the one, when you've got freedom, for sure. God gives you freedom. You can say no to everything I'm saying right now. But when you say yes, when you use your freedom and say yes, you yield to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you say yes to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and you surrender all your rights to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you put Him enthroned as number one in your life. Now you have the one who is peace itself ruling you, and that is not a bad thing. Now you have the one who is joy itself ruling you, and who can argue with that? Now you have the one who is love itself, who is life itself, and the glory of God ruling in your life. And, and folks, see, that's the kind of slavery I want. I don't know about you. Uh, make me a slave to peace. I'll take it any day. Make me a slave to love. Make me a slave to joy. Make me a slave to God's glory. That, that, that slavery is the highest form of freedom you could ever ask for. That bondage is the kind, greatest kind of liberation you could ever ask for. You don't lose anything when you sell out to Jesus Christ. You gain the entire world, praise God. You gain all eternity. You gain the glory of God. You gain an eternal destiny, praise God. 
Sell out, sell out. It's not a bad word. Submission is a good word. When we, when we hold the reins, it's not good for us, but it's also not good for the church. When we do our American thing, uh, it's, it, it's bad for our relationship with God, and it's disastrous for the church. You can't get any kind of unity if everybody is out doing their own thing. Right? You just don't get, and if you don't have unity, you don't have anything. Jesus said this in, in Matthew chapter 12, every kingdom, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. Internal conflict destroys you. Lack of vision, the Bible says, with lack of vision you perish. And no city or house divided against itself will ever stand. This isn't too profound, and yet we miss it so much. What would it be like if you had an army? An army where everyone goes into battle, but everyone decides to do their own thing. I'll, I'll choose the foe I want to shoot at. I'll, I'm going to choose the weapon I'm going to use. I'm going to choose whether I want to fight or not. I'll be there if, it, if it's convenient for me. I'm going to go, one person wants to go in this direction. Another person wants to go in that direction. One person wants to you know, fight this way. Another person wants to fight that way. You'd have a, you'd have a screwed up army if ever there was a screwed up army. This is a, uh, an army right out of a Monty Python movie or something. You'd have people shooting each other. See, if there isn't a, 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 an agreement that we submit to a common uh, captain with a common mission with a common, em- a common enemy, uh, then you can't possibly have unity. And if you don't have unity, you're not going to fight any foe effectively. You will be laid waste. Another analogy might be an orchestra. You know, uh, you can't... What would it be like if you went to an orchestra hall and there's these hundred very talented musicians, but they all play whatever tune they want to play, the one that highlights their talents the best, you know, and, and they all play at their own volume and they all play at their own speed and no one's really following the conductor or some are following a conductor, but some are following a different conductor or something. And You'd have an absolute noise. You ever go to like an orchestra hall and, and they're all playing, they're all warming up, you know, when they're all just kind of getting tuned up. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like a, like a, you know, first grade sort of ensemble. But then when they get together and they all follow a conductor and they all submit, they take their freedom and they take their talents and they bring it under the authority of the conductor. They bring it under the authority of the chart. And they, they, they follow the, 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 uh, the, the direction of, of both of those. Now you get something that you can never get individually. You get a beautiful symphony. Praise God. And something that's powerful. Something that impacts people. And they all benefit because they're, uh, they're not doing their I thing. They're doing a we thing, you see. And the we thing has got way more power than the I thing. I learned this in a hard way when I was in high school. You know, I, I, I was a, back in my day, I was a pretty good drummer. I, I, I was a pretty good drummer. I, 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 could, I had a lot of speed back then. See, the only thing I ever practiced was speed. I, I was hyperactive, and drums was, a way of, uh, drums was a way of channeling, you know, all that the kind of energy I had. You know, it was just, I was good. I wasn't much good at anything else, but I'm still good at going too fast. Norm will tell you that. Okay, so I, I'm in this jazz ensemble, and I'm pretty good, you know. I'm, I'm hot stuff. And we were in this contest where uh, if, you, if you got a start in regions, you went to the state contest. We've been to the state three, t- three years in a row. We were regarded as one, we were regarded as one of the, 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 the best jazz ensembles in the state. Everyone expected us to go to state. So we get up there, and we're cool, we're cool, you know. Now, I, the, the song that we were going to play, it was an okay song, but it didn't really highlight my speed. It didn't highlight my strengths. And I couldn't live with that, except there's this really cute gal in the front row. <laughs> Always been a sucker for this. Uh, and and this, this, you know, this young lady I, I, I know was just eyeing me and, and admiring me and my drum set. And, you know, boy, she really, she really deserves, she really needs to know how good I am, and this song's not going to do it. 
Now, now, now what, what made it worse is that the bass player had the same idea. <laughs> we were both eyeing this gal, you know. And, and I, I, he and I were in a band together, in a rock band, and... Uh, we start competing for this young lady's attention in the middle of the song. We're going along. And I'm just thinking, you know, you know, check this out. Hey, hey babe, check this out. You know, I, I throw in a little fill where there wasn't supposed to be a fill. You know, and I start, I start hamming it up. Well, the bass player starts hamming it up. Throws in little pops here and there. This is a jazz song. And we start doing like, you know, funky, funky Broadway or something. Well, the thing was a disaster. Now, we're, we're grooving away. And we're getting hot. And we're kind of looking at each other, smiling. And we're kind of checking out the gal there and whatever. You see, we had a vision. <laughs> We had a vision, but it wasn't a we vision. It was a gal vision. It was this check out the hot babe vision, you know. When, when we got done, the judge came down and reamed us out. <laughs> he, he said, these guys are playing, uh, you know, one tune. You guys, I don't know where you were, but this. He didn't give us a star, and to make matters worse, afterwards we at least want to, you know, talk to the young lady that we ruined the song for, and she was gone. <laughs> See, was no payback. The thing that I learned was this. You can't. If, if you don't have an agreement about who you're going to follow and the song you're going to play and, and, and you're not willing to submit, submit your talent and submit your freedom and submit your vision to a conductor, to a chart, to an overall vision of what song you're going to play, you're going to have one screwed up mess. It's the same thing throughout the world. I mean, what would it be like if you had a football team? I don't care how much talent you had, but if one of your star players was saying, hey, I'll play when I feel like playing. You couldn't do anything, could you? I rest my case. I, you know, it, <laughs> team might be four and seven halfway through the season. I don't know. It's far better to have a, a team with mediocre talent, but is willing to to say, "Listen, we got a coach, we got a game plan, and we're going to follow it, and we're all going to go on the same count, and we're going to play as hard as we can, whether we're throwing a block or catching a touchdown pass." And we're going to put our all into it. And when you get people who have a united vision, who have a focus to what they're doing, who are following the same conductor, if you will, they're following the same coach, they're following the same chart, they're following the same game plan, now you got something that is far more powerful than it could ever be individually. There's a deeper joy. Here's what I learned in more mature moments in my life. You're playing a symphony or something, and the drum part's really very minimal. It's a very minor part. But if you just... Listen to the chart and stay out when you're supposed to stay out and do what you're supposed to do. You get to participate in the beauty of a song as a whole. And, uh, and to be able to witness the power of the song as it moves an audience and to know that you've got a role in that. And there's a depth of joy and fulfillment that comes in being part of a we thing that you never get doing an I thing. It's exactly the same in the church of Jesus Christ. Exactly the same in the church of Jesus Christ. We come together, if everyone's playing their own instrument, if everyone's you know, playing their own song, if everyone's doing their own thing, if everyone's following their own conductor or no conductor at all, if everyone's got their own piece that they're going by, or if everyone's following their own game plans or, or what have you, what you've got is, a, is, is an absolute chaotic mess that will be laid waste. It will never accomplish for the kingdom of God what God wants it to accomplish. And one of the reasons why the Lord so emphasizes the importance of submission and coming under others is because He knows that without unity, the church can't accomplish anything. You can't run a children's program if people just show up when they want to show up and then they do their own thing and they want to teach their own thing. You've got to have some kind of, of a systematic vision for what you're trying to accomplish. You can't run a youth program. You can't do the greeters. You can't have a worship set like this. You can't ever pool resources to accomplish great things for the, for the kingdom of God. If there isn't a unity of vision, if there isn't a willingness to come under, to submit, to obey a common vision and the leadership that's speaking that vision. But you see, when you get a people...
When you get a people who have got that willingness uh, to come under, to, to say, I will, I will use the gifts that God's given to me. I'll use the resources that God's given to me. I'll use the talents that God's given to me. And I will come under the vision. See, it's about the vision. It's not about any particular person. It's about the vision. God speaks the vision and motivates the vision through leadership, but the obedience is ultimately to the vision. But you can't obey the vision without coming under the authority of the leadership there. And when you get a people who are willing to do that, uh, there is no stopping them. The church becomes, at that point, an incredible symphony that can play tunes that the world's never heard before. Amen? The church becomes an incredible football team that can score touchdowns in the Super Bowl like, like no one ever dreamed, praise God. The church becomes an incredible army, an unvanquishable army, an anointed army that can come against the kingdom of darkness, praise God, and can tear down strongholds, praise God, that can rout out things from hell in people's lives and in society, that can make an impact that the world takes notice of, praise God. There's no stopping us when we are united, when we're focused, when we're going on the same count, when we're hitting on all pistons. That doesn't happen, however, there is just chaos, there's just... If everyone's, if everyone's doing solo, and this is what it is in America, don't you tell me. I got my rights. I'll do it when I want to, how I want to, with who I want to. As long as we're doing solo stuff, you know what? It's not going to accomplish much of anything. It's about unity. It's about vision. My, my, my heart's conviction is that this it, it has been an incredible year for us. It really has been an incredible year. Uh, and I, but I still believe we just have our little toe in the promised land. Our little toe's in the promised land. Uh, but if we will, if we will sacrificially unite together, hallelujah, if we will always, if we will just have this agreement about unity, about submitting to the vision and pooling our resources, our time, our talent, our prayer in a singular direction, I, 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 who knows how many people can get saved next year? Who knows how many kids can get pulled off the street next year? Who knows how many marriages can be healed uh, through our counseling center next year? Who knows how many people can be delivered through our prayer ministry next year, praise God? Who knows how many kids can be instructed and brought to a knowledge of Jesus Christ next year, praise God? Who knows what kind of impact we can have in St. Paul and the surrounding area and maybe other parts of the globe next year if we get together, if we unite, if we say yes to the vision of God, we're going to go forward with it. If we stop doing solo... If we think as a we and not just as an I, that's what it's all about. Then we enjoy the benefits of the we. It all comes back on each one of us. And the benefits that come back and the reward that comes back is far greater than it could ever be if we were just doing an I. Let me close with this. I, I, I want to just get very, very practical here. Uh, maybe some of you are asking the question, okay, well, how, how do I become part of the we? How, how do I start doing the we thing? I'm going to make it very practical here. I'm going to give you five... 30-second things uh, that, they, that for you to consider. This isn't a holiness test. This isn't a litmus test. This isn't a shibboleth thing. Uh, I, you know, no one's expected to do all five. I'm laying out opportunities for people to get in, come under the vision and become part of what God's doing here. Number one, if God's leading you to Woodland Hills Church, I want to encourage you to commit. If this is your body, commit to it. Now, some of you here belong to a different church. And you come here once in a while to get fed or just to worship like this or, or whatever. And we're fine with that. You commit to your church. But whatever you're supposed to be, you've got to be there. You see, commit to it. 
you, you say, I'm going to come under the vision and the authority of this church. Everybody who's not called to be in, in leadership is called to follow. And, and if you're not following someone's authority, someone's vision, you're out of sync with God's will for your life to that degree. So, so if this is where God's leading you, it's a heart thing. It's a hard thing. You surrender to it. You say, okay, I'm going to come under. I'm going to be part of this vision. And I will use who I am, what I have, what God's blessed me with to accomplish this vision. Number two, the first evidence of commitment is you support the ministry through committed prayer and finances. You say, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll take a part of who I am and what you bless me with, and I'm going to further this vision this way. To, in our thinking, this is the kind of thing that makes a person a member of the church. A member in the body of Christ, uh, in the New Testament, you know a member is a member of the body because it does membering things. My fingers, I know our fingers. It doesn't have to make a covenant with me. Uh, it, it just does membering things. So I say, oh, look, I got the members of my body. Are, I know my fingers are finger because it does fingering things. All of us are called to be members of the body of Christ. Okay, so, so you do what God calls you to do. You, you serve the body. You, you have a role to play in the body. You have a role to play in the orchestra. You have, a, you have a, a, a tackle to make on the football team. And that's your role as a member. That makes a person a member of the body of Christ. And you need to be a member of some local body. And I mean by that, doing body stuff. Now, there's a time to rest. There is. There's a time for transition. There is. When you're trying to search, where is God leading you? That's fine. You know, you don't commit till you really feel like this is the place where God wants you to line up. Um, and there's a time where you, maybe you've been wounded or, or, or been through some real tough stuff where you just need to sit and absorb. No problem with that at all. But know this, that is not a stopping point. That's not a permanent stage. That's a transitional thing that we need to go through sometimes. But you need to know this. Part of your healing and a lot of your growth will come by starting to participate in the body, by being a part of the vision, by, by putting your shoulder to it and helping push this thing. So um, uh, commit and then begin to support. You support with prayer. Now, when I say, you know, support with prayer and finances, a lot of people say, well, what it really means is finances. The prayer is just thrown in to give it a spiritual spin. But I want to tell you that that's not at all the case. We need prayer, and I can't tell you how, how urgently we need prayer. Pray, as the, the, the Bible says, pray for the leaders. If this is where God calls you, pray for the leadership in a regular way. There is really an extraordinary bounty on all of our heads. How it would delight the enemy to, to take us out of action physically or emotionally or spiritually, we need protection, constant protection. Be praying for us. There is an awful lot of sickness that we deal with on the pastoral staff, way more than, 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 than average. There is discouragement that we have to fight. Uh, sometimes it's not easy, you know, and, and sometimes we, it's not joy, it is groaning. Pray that, that God keeps on replenishing the fire in us and keeps it joyful, keeps it fun in, in, in our life. Pray for our marriages. Man, do, how marriage conflicts can just knock you out of, of efficiency in the kingdom of God. Pray for our relationships. Pray for the unity on the staff. We need your prayer. That's a major, major point that every believer can play with the body. If, if this is not your body, if, if you belong to a different body, you pray for that leadership. I mean, I'll take whatever prayers you want to throw my way too, but, but your primary responsibility is to pray for those who are over you. Number three, consider becoming a covenant partner. A covenant partner is somebody who, who enters into a covenant with the church, with the leadership, and with other believers. And you just covenant here, it's a very biblical idea, that you're going to live out your, for, for a year's time, we go by year by year basis, uh, you're going to do your ministry under the authority of, of, of the church, you're going to live the, the Christian life in, in the church and things of that sort. 
This is, this is the group of people that the leadership goes to for feedback because we know this group of people has got total buy-in with the vision, mission, and values of the church. So that's where leadership, all good leadership gets feedback. That's where we go to say, okay, what's going on? What do you think? Uh, you know, are you on board with where we're going? Uh, do you sense something else? Number four, consider participating in a ministry. Uh, uh, getting involved. Now, some of you have your own ministries, and that takes up all your time. We bless you with that. We regard that as being an extension of Woodland Hills. But there's a lot of ministries within the church, a billion ministries within the church, that, uh, that, that, that can use help. And, um, and so consider, like we just this morning heard about children's ministry. One of the ways of becoming part of the we is to pick up the violin and start playing. It's to get on the, on the, on the field and start throwing uh, uh, blocks. Uh, consider participating in a ministry. And number five, Consider joining a small group. Uh, I really believe that the Christian life was meant to be lived in unity with other believers. Uh, we all need to have fellowship with other believers. It says in the early church they met in each other's houses on, on a regular basis. They broke bread together. They did ministry together. And I'll tell you from personal experience, uh, it, it is uh, just a, a wonderful, rewarding, and sometimes challenging but always growing aspect of the body of Christ to be in a small group. Uh, and so if you, if you don't have relationships with, with people who are believers that you're walking with, uh, contact us. We'll try to help you get plugged in. This is also an area where we're, we're really looking for more leaders. People do, to uh, step up and say, I'll lead a small group and uh, help disciple people in, in, in being in relationship with one another. It's about a we, folks. It's about a we. It's about a we, not an I thing, about a we thing. And my prayer is that God just pulls us together, unites us in vision. We, I pray that we keep on growing in, in terms of our, our leadership, Christ-like leadership, and I pray we keep on growing in terms of a church followership, in terms, in terms of submitting to the Lord and submitting to the vision that God has, has given to each one of us. And now as a we thing, do you know that everything the church accomplishes through, through the grace of God is part of a we? That every person who comes to the Lord is part of a we? We had five people accept the Lord last night. Uh, that's a we thing. Uh, everyone who's ever made any kind of contribution, amen. Anyone who's a part of the body, who's prayed, it, all of that happens because all of us are doing it together. When you score a touchdown, it comes back. The points come back on everybody, praise God. So I want us all to pray. If you're a, if you're a, a member of the body of Christ, a believer, would you pray? And I want to end this service by giving anyone who's here who is not part of the body, or who is not a believer, who, who has never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been playing church for a while, you know, but, but, but you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never given up the reins. You've never said, Lord, rule in my heart. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. And so if, if you would just raise your hand, I would like to pray for you from up here. You're saying, I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to surrender my life to Him right here and right now. Would you raise your hand very high so I could see it? I'm not going to call you up front. I just want to pray for you from up here. Is there anybody at all here who's never made that, that, that profession? The Bible says, if you believe in your heart, raise your hand very high. In the back there, praise God. Thank you. God's in the back over there. God's, the angels are giving each other high fives even as I'm talking. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. Anybody else, you want, you, this is the time where you say, Lord, I want you to take control. I surrender my life to you. He forgives you your sin. You're made right with God. You're now destined for heaven. Is there anybody else who says, I need that? Just raise your hand very high. Take one more second here. In the back there again, praise God. Anyone want to join these three? Over here, praise the Lord. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Okay, back there. Wonderful. Surrender. Give it up right here, right now. 
Anyone want to join these five or six? Back there, amen. I see your brother. Amen. One more second. Holy Spirit be moving here. Okay, praise God. I want to lead you in this prayer. This is, this is a covenant you're making with God. And we're going to pray it with you. And I encourage you to pray it out loud. There's something about saying it out loud with your voice. So, so pray this prayer after me like a wedding vow. And we'll all join you in support. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that you are Lord, you are God, you are King, and you are holy. And I confess that I am a sinner, unworthy of your love. But I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sin. And so I ask you, Lord, to come into my life and forgive my sin and wash me and make me whole. And I ask you, Lord, to change me, to turn me, and help me live for God the rest of my life. I pledge my life to you in Jesus' name. Welcome to the kingdom. Praise God. That's the first step. Amen. Let's do what the angels do. We rejoice. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Now, those who raised your hand, and maybe those who prayed this prayer for the first time but didn't raise their hand, the first act of discipleship now, the first act is this. I, I want to encourage you to st- stop by at the back of this room. There's a young lady back there in the center of the auditorium who's got some free literature she'd like to give you that will help you get started on this Christian walk. This isn't a religion thing. It's not a church thing we're doing. It's a real thing. And you now belong to Jesus Christ. And you need to grow in that. You need to grow in that. And so I, I encourage you to get that, 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 that literature and start taking the steps that you need to take in order to become a full disciple of Jesus Christ. Would the prayer team come forward? And I want to open up this invitation. If you're here and you have any need whatsoever that you'd like them to pray for, that uh, stronghold, maybe it's about surrendering your rights to Jesus Christ. I encourage you to come forward. You can pray at the altar here or pray with these folks uh, who would be glad to spend some time with you. Let me close with this benediction, if you will. Father in heaven, I pray that as we go out of here, we will do it as submitted disciples of Jesus Christ, united in vision and purpose. Uh, that, that, that you've called us to, Lord God, that we might be all that we can be for the kingdom of God. We live to exalt you. And I pray, Lord God, that throughout this week and every day of this week, that exaltation would occur in how we work and how we do home life and how we treat neighbors and how we treat strangers and how we breathe and how we get out of bed and how we go to bed, Lord, be exalted in our life. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Be anointed.